This is The Guardian. Today, why is Rishi Sunak ripping up the UK's net zero plans? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It was smooth. It was polished. Rishi Sunak was totally in control. Except... Today was chaotic. This was not really supposed to be the day that Rishi Sunak was going to announce his great U-turn on green plans. We thought that was probably going to be Friday. And I think the Prime Minister would have liked a few more days just to pitch roll, as they say in political circles, get people ready for the announcement, tell people on his side what the lines to take were, figure out what he was going to tell business. But he was forced into this speech partially because... Everybody here in Westminster found out about it. The BBC was the first to report it. The Guardian had it very quickly afterwards. On Wednesday afternoon, the Prime Minister delivered a grandstanding speech on the UK's response to the climate crisis on what he called the wider mission. I went down to the Guardian's office in Parliament to watch it all unfold. The atmosphere in Westminster has been not quite febrile, but it was excited. MPs were supposed to be returning to their constituencies. Uh, But instead, many of them had to stay in London or were hauled back because this is a major, major policy speech by the Prime Minister. And he had to make it slightly on the hoof. Then that has caused an absolute scramble to the extent that many people were responding to the speech even before he made it. But Sunak was unequivocal. If we continue down this path, we risk losing the consent of the British people. He said... Our current climate policies were unaffordable. We seem to have defaulted to an approach which will impose unacceptable costs on hard-pressed British families. Costs that no one was ever really told about and which may not actually be necessary to deliver the emissions reduction that we need. Sunak is breaking net zero plans. The environmental pledges made by Conservative governments to radically reduce the number of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Rishi Sunak wanted to insist that this was not a a rowing back of his policy commitments. I think it is absolutely wrong to describe in any way, shape or form what I am doing today as watering down our targets. Our targets remain. This is one of the Prime Minister's biggest U-turns to date. In fact, I would argue it is probably the biggest U-turn since he became Prime Minister. From The Guardian, I'm Nusheen Iqbal. Today in Focus, what does Rishi Sunak's Great Green Rollback mean for Britain? Kieran Stacey, you're a political correspondent for The Guardian, and you've been following what looks like Rishi Sunak's anti-green agenda for a few months now. The last time we spoke, the Prime Minister had just announced new oil and gas licences in the North Sea. What did he just say? 
I remember the last time we spoke, I said, oh, well, I'm pretty sure that he won't go as far as rolling back the target by which he wanted to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. Well, I was proven wrong. So, you know, take whatever I say today with a pinch of salt. But this was a, a massive change. The Prime Minister insists that the main UK green target of reaching net zero by 2050 remains, but several of the steps along the way are now changed. The main one is that the UK is no longer going to ban the sale of new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. That year is going to be pushed back by five years to 2035. Secondly, there is a change to the year by which we are all supposed to have electric heat pumps rather than gas boilers. That is going to get pushed back again by five years, but also some households are never going to have to do that at all. Thirdly, there are a range of energy efficiency measures which homeowners were supposed to put in place over the next few years. The target was to have 300,000 homes insulated over the next three years. Well, a lot of those targets are now going to be rescinded altogether. Homeowners are still going to have incentives to make their homes more energy efficient, but they're not going to have their feet held to the fire and costs are not going to be imposed on them if they don't. So Rishi Sunak's new approach, as he kind of trailed a few weeks ago, is not to have hair shirt policies. In effect, he's taken away the stick and he's making UK green policies all about the carrot. And how is he justifying all the changes that he's announced today? Sunak tried to paint himself as taking some kind of centre road between extremists on either side, extremists on one side who say we should go much faster on trying to tackle climate change, and extremists on the other who say that humans aren't really the cause of climate change at all. In reality, there is now a much more of a consensus than there has ever been that the UK does need to take rapid action to combat climate change. Polling out today showed huge support for the 2050 commitments and wide support for the individual policies that he has just dropped today. But he is telling us that he's taking a more rational perspective, particularly, although he didn't say it, than his predecessor, Boris Johnson, whom he has always thought, uh, promised things without really thinking about how they would be paid for. So Sunak's point today was, look, I'm taking a middle road. I'm trying to reach 2050 net zero, but without imposing costs on consumers. Many people don't think that that is even possible to do, but we'll see. And what do you think? Did the speech land? I think that he really wanted this to be a positive speech. He likes to badge himself as Mr. Rational. And as he said in the speech, this is going to be one of several speeches where he's going to depict himself as taking long-term decisions in the interest of the country, unlike some of his predecessors. But in the end, because we'd had all this reaction even before he made the speech, all this backlash against what he was about to say, it forced him much more onto the defensive. And at several points during this speech, he looked incredibly defensive. And he kept referring to some people might not like what I'm saying, but I think it's in the best interest of the country. I don't think he wanted to say any of those things. He wanted to paint himself as a, a friend to everybody in this speech. But in the end, he's ended up looking like he's in much more of a minority than he might otherwise have liked. Before we get on to the reaction from business, from the car industry, can you tell me about the response from MPs, even within his own party? Yeah, it was predictable that Labour would come out and criticise this. Ed Miliband, the shadow climate secretary, is unsurprisingly very vehemently against dropping some of these targets. But what was surprising was how many Conservative MPs also came out against it. Now, some of those are what I would call the usual suspects, people like Sir Alok Sharma, who is the former president of COP26, Chris Skidmore, the former net zero czar. But it wasn't just them. It wasn't just the people on that edge of the Conservative Party who were vociferously worried about climate change. 
One of the most surprising people to come out against these plans was Simon Clark, who was uh, an ally of Boris Johnson, but also an ally of Liz Truss. And he is kind of much more mainstream in terms of party opinion than you might otherwise have thought. He came out very quickly to voice his concern. And he was saying he didn't want anything that looked like it was watering down the 2015 net zero commitment. And he went further. He said, look, this is not going to be popular with my voters up in Teesside. So if Rishi Sunak was trying to paint this as some kind of uh, tool to win back supporters in the red wall, Simon Clark's message is it won't work. Kieran, how has the car industry reacted to Sunak's announcements? And the car industry is angry. At first, they were not very pleased about the target of selling no new petrol and diesel cars by 2030. There was a lot of resistance. They said it couldn't be done. They adapted and they were given a lot of government support to do so. So the government spent quite heavily itself in investing in electric vehicle manufacture. So there have been this whole infrastructure put in place to try and reach that 2030 target. Some car makers had spent hundreds of millions of pounds trying to make sure that they would meet this target. And this morning, they were very, very angry. So the chair of Ford UK stood up and said, this was an absolute disaster for business confidence. Other car makers have said similar things. But it's not just the car makers. Uh, one of the energy suppliers, E.ON, came out and said that this would leave people living in cold and drafty homes. There has been an across-the-board negative reaction from business groups. I haven't seen one positive reaction. You might expect some people to say, well, good, this is going to cost our customers less. But I haven't seen any of that. So in terms of businesses like E.ON, they have come out really strongly against government. And normally, you'd expect them to take a more diplomatic approach does it suggest there is a lot less faith in the longevity of this government? That's a really interesting question. Quite possibly. Yeah. It's very telling, for example, that the Tories are really struggling to get uh, major business executives to come along to their party conference. And instead, in fact, the Labour conference is about six times oversubscribed for their business day. So there has definitely been a shift in the UK corporate community into thinking that Labour is going to come into power at the next election. But I think that the response from business executives today was not just well, these lot are not going to be in power any longer, so we might as well score a political point. I think there was genuine anger among companies that had already spent trying to invest, trying to make sure they hit targets that they thought would be in place. And what about the response from climate scientists and climate campaigners? I mean, Rishi Sunak was very adamant that he's not watering down any of the promises that have already been made. To what degree can the UK reverse its climate promises to the degree that Sunak says he will and still meet those 2050 targets? One of the questions I would most like to find out from government right now is what modelling they've done, which suggests they can still hit the 2050 target, even without these policies in place. Rishi Sunak paints himself as Mr. Rational, but if so, what's your reasoning here? What are the numbers saying to you that say this can be done? The truth is we don't know, because that will probably remain not public for a long time. But... It may get tested. What I would expect to happen now is a judicial review. I would expect climate campaign groups to come forward and try and challenge this in the courts because the 2050 target, as we've discussed before, is a legally binding one. So if you are a climate activist, what you're going to do right now is go to the courts and say, we think that the prime minister is about to break the law. At which point the government has to come forward with modelling that shows that even with these remodeled targets, it will still be able to hit the 2050 deadline. And at that point, I think we'll be able to see how serious its working is. There was considered to be an ironclad consensus on net zero across the political spectrum. What does it mean for Sunak and his party to dismantle that? 
I think this is going to be a really interesting political moment because what we are probably going to have going into the next election is two parties who diverge quite a lot on climate. Not only are Labour in favour of keeping the targets as they are, they also have this £28 billion green prosperity plan, uh, which means they will borrow to fund greater climate investment to come. Now, they've watered that down a bit, but the, the plan is still there. So you're going to have two parties saying very different things at an election. Now, there are two options. One is taking this tax suddenly pulls lots of voters back towards the Conservatives, as we saw in the Uxbridge by-election, and they managed to win the election and the cause of greater action to tackle climate change is set back years. Or the alternative is, it's not going to make that much difference. Labour wins anyway. And even though that might not be the defining issue of the election, it then becomes politically mainstream to say, look, it's a bad idea to try and roll back some of your net zero commitments. So I think that this is going to be one of the issues in which the election is now going to be fought over. Well, you'd expect Labour to draw a firm line in the sand about how much bolder and better their plans are with regards to the climate and the environment. They have said they've unequivocally recommitted to keeping the 2030 ban on the sale of new petrol and diesel cars. What else do we expect them to say? Labour's saying that they don't support the Prime Minister, which is unsurprising. The difficulty with saying, right, we're going to put them back where they were, is that business investment might have been lost in the meantime. So if car makers have adjusted to the new reality, it might make it even more difficult to hit. This is also a battle of language. I mean, the Conservatives will have no qualms about painting Labour as extremists, which you can already see is being hinted at now. How do you think they might then counter that? Labour will point out accurately that most voters support what they say. Most voters say they support net zero by 2050. Most voters say they support the petrol and diesel car phase up by 2030. The real test of that, though, comes when one party is painting out in very dramatic terms what it might cost those consumers. Typically, voters have become a lot less keen on green policies when they get told it's going to cost them money. Uh, everybody likes to have their cake and eat it, in Boris Johnson's words. So... I think that Labour will try and counter it by saying, look, this is mainstream public opinion. But I would expect that some of that public opinion will start to leach away as the Conservatives ramp up their attacks. Why now? Why is Rishi taking on this as his next gamble? I think there are a number of reasons why now. A lot of people are pinning this on the Uxbridge result, which we've discussed before. I spoke to someone in number 10 today who absolutely insisted this was not connected to Uxbridge, that the Prime Minister had been considering this for months. And I suspect there is some truth in that. I suspect he has been thinking about this for a long time. But it is definitely true that the Uxbridge by-election showed the Tories that they can win in surprising circumstances by finding issues on which to unite voters. And they believe this could be one of them. So that's one reason why now. Another reason is they've had a bit of a shake-up in number 10. They've brought in some slightly harder-edged conservatives uh, to replace some of the more centrist people who were around Rishi Sunak uh, before. And I think that they have encouraged him uh, to, to go ahead on this track. And frankly, we are now getting towards an election. And as we get closer to the election, I would expect the Conservatives to get a lot sharper in their attacks. And almost everything they do will be about trying to attack Labour. So it is not surprising to me that Rishi Sunak has decided to roll back some of the green policies because I know that one of the main attack lines the Conservatives are going to have at the next election against Labour is about this unfunded borrowing to pay for £28 billion worth of climate investment. Now, if you want that to be your main attack, 
it's better if you roll back some of your own policies in that direction just to create even more space for you to go after them. So this is a lot about the election to come. Can you tell me a bit more about the architects of those attack lines? Who's behind the swerve in this strategy? And it's tempting to think that there are kind of dark shadowy figures behind the scenes manipulating Rishi Sunak uh, into doing something he doesn't want to. People in number 10 tell me, and, and frankly, I believe them, that you can't really do that to Rishi Sunak because he's a real master of policy. He cares very much about the details and you can't force him into policy positions that he doesn't want to take. However, there are people in number 10 who would be definitely in favor of him taking this action. There is a man called Isaac Levito who's been around for a long time. He is a protege of the Australian strategist Linton Crosby, who famously came in to advise David Cameron and told him to cut the green crap in the words that we think were attributed to Cameron himself. So he is one of the key figures behind the scenes. There are two advisors who've been brought in in recent weeks, uh, Jamie Njoku Goodwin and Adam Atashzai, who've been brought in very much to sharpen the messaging around this. And both of them are longtime Tory strategists. Uh, they've been around the Conservative Party for a long time, and they are really willing to give Labour a good bashing. So those are the people around who've helped definitely bolster the PM in this direction, I would have said. But they, from everything I'm told, did not push him into this unwillingly. I mean, you mentioned that Rishi Sunak is, you know, he's big on policy. He's very much across the detail. And today we heard, or at least I heard, things that I wasn't even sure were even in play, like this tax on meat or scrapping the idea that we would have to car share. Was he scrapping policies that actually weren't even in existence? That's exactly what he was doing. Yeah, this is the moment where Rishi Sunak becomes political. And I think this is where you start to see the impact of some of those advisors I was talking about before. He was depicting it as Rishi Sunak, the great rational prime minister, you know, setting the UK right after years of chaotic misrule. But actually, this was a much more hard-edged political speech than he suggested. He essentially spent a long time ruling out things that were never going to happen, including bans on insisting people have seven dustbins in their homes to do the recycling, taxes on flying, which were not really going to happen. So this was definitely political as much as it was policy focused. Coming up, what's the damage to the UK and to Rishi Sunak's reputation? Where's that dust coming from? Still finding debris after vacuuming? Eufy X10 Pro Omni Robot Vacuum has 8,000 PA of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets. And it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. 
Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Hello, I'm Grace Bend. I'm back and I've been busy. My new book, Comfort Eating, which is based on our award-winning podcast, is out now. You can get hold of it at guardianbookshop.com. And from Tuesday, the podcast is returning for its next season with an exciting lineup, including Shirley Ballas, Bridget Christie, Jamie Demetrio, and many more. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to join me on Book Tour, I'll be in London on the 9th of October and in Manchester on the 11th, talking about my go-to comfort foods and a lot more. Get your tickets today from membership.theguardian.com forward slash events. I can't wait to see you there. So, Kieran, while the Prime Minister is playing risky political games, where does this potentially leave him and his party in the run-up to an election? Rishi Sunak has said that this will be the first in a series of similar policy speeches where he's going to set out how he's pursuing the long-term good of the country ahead of short-term gains. It's kind of difficult to fit that narrative, actually, to what he's just announced. The targets that he's rolled back were long-term targets uh, aimed at improving the climate for people across the world. These were not kind of short-term populist measures, but that is apparently what he's going to try and do over the next few months. I think that it leaves him with a clearer attack line against Labour. One of the things that has come through very strongly in focus groups is a lot of voters think that Sunak is very similar to Starmer, and he will now try and distance himself from that. But it also, as you say, is a risk. What this really is from Rishi Sunak is a Hail Mary pass. That's the, the pass that you throw in the last minute of an American football game, which you don't think is, stands a hope of getting to where you want it to, but you've got no other option because you're losing. And that's where Rishi Sunak is. He's losing. He's 20 points behind in the polls. We're not that far out from an election. He has to try something. And that's what I think he's doing today. And that's what I think he's going to do over the next few months. So Rishi Sunak reiterated again and again that there is a space now to be had for a more honest debate and that he said again and again that the UK was a world leader in tackling climate change. How convincing does all this look and where does today now leave us in that battle? Sunak is completely right. The UK is a world leader uh, and has deliberately tried to position itself as a world leader. For a couple of reasons. One is moral reasons to lead the rest of the world in terms of their own targets, but also for business reasons to try and capture some of that investment we were talking about, for instance, from electric vehicles. Several prime ministers have thought that there is scope there to try and beat other countries to that type of business. 
I wouldn't say we're now behind a lot of other people, but what it does do is it seriously damages that second proposition. The idea that we can now say to businesses, come and build your green technology over here, it really weakens that, not necessarily even because of the individual targets, but just because of the sense of chaos. Businesses don't like change. They certainly don't like change at the last minute, and they make investment plans over many, many years. So that becomes much more difficult to argue, especially when the US has got the Inflation Reduction Act, and the EU is starting to bring out its own major green manufacturing subsidies. That just makes it much harder to argue that the UK is the place to come and build your green technology. Kieran, thanks so much for talking to us. Thank you very much. That was Kieran Stacey, The Guardian's political correspondent. You can read his continuing coverage of the government's U-turn and more at theguardian.com. You can also join columnist Gabby Hinsliff and Europe correspondent John Henley for more chat on our Politics Weekly UK podcast. Find that wherever you get Today in Focus. And there's more. This week, The Guardian has launched a digital Europe edition, which will deepen our coverage across the continent. Readers across Europe will automatically be switched to the new digital edition, while others can access it from the homepage. That's it for today. This episode was produced by Natalie Khatena and Rose Della Rabiti. Sound design was by Solomon King. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.